parables of Jesus, and we are going to be in the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils. It's going to take us two weeks uh, to go through this when I just couldn't get it all done in one week. Now, this is a, a fairly, uh, well, I won't say unusual parable, but it's a little bit different in a couple of senses. Number one, it's found in three of the four Gospels. Now, the Gospel of John, as far as I know, I can't say this as a guarantee, but I don't think John does any parables at all. So the parables are all found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, sometimes it's found in one uh, Gospel, sometimes it's found in another. This parable is found in all three, which is in itself makes it a little bit unusual. The other thing about this parable that makes it a little bit unusual is Jesus explains every piece of it. You know, sometimes he gives us a parable and he leaves it up to us to interpret it. But in this case, he does not leave it up to us at all. I mean, he, he tells the disciples this is exactly what this parable means. Now, as I said, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For, for our study this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We just, I just picked that one because it's got a, a couple of things in there I want to talk about. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. Luke 8, 4 through 18. Uh, I'm going to read it. And then we'll come back and we will walk through the entire thing. Luke chapter 8, we'll begin in verses 4 through 8. It says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Continuing on, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for only a while, and in time of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear... But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and a good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now here's two verses that seem out of place. They're not, and I'll explain them. We won't get to them until next week, but they seem out of place, but they're not. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. Now you want to know what this parable is all about? There's the statement right there. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, in case you didn't notice, and I highlighted a few words in there as we went through, today's parable is all about how people hear 
the Word of God when it is proclaimed, when it is preached, or when it is taught. It's all about how people can hear the Word physically, just like this morning. The Word is being proclaimed. The, 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 the Word is being taught. We all hear it physically. But the fact is, there are people who will not hear it spiritually. Now, it is a, it's a parable that's very familiar. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, the parable of the souls is, is a very familiar uh, uh, parable. Now, it is sometimes called the parable of the sower. In fact, last week when I announced it, I even referred to it as the parable of the sower. But that's really not a good title. Uh, as we'll see as we move through, this is not a parable about the sower. Uh, that's not the point of the story. Uh, it's not a parable about the seed. That's not the point of the story. The parable is all about the soil that receives it. It's all about the people that hear it. So the parable of the soils is a, is a much better name. It is a very simple story, and yet it contains some very profound truth about the condition of the human heart. Now last week, you remember, we covered the parable of the barren fig tree. And we talked about the fact that, that there are people out there that the axe is ready to fall. Everybody remember that? And it's our job as ambassadors of Christ. It's our job to take the word out to them and give them the gospel. Listen, that is how God has ordained it to work. Romans 10, 14 says this, How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in someone they haven't heard of? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches to them or, or teaches them or proclaims the word to them? That's just the way it's, God has designed it to work. If that person over there is going to get saved, somebody has got to tell them the gospel. That's how God has designed it. He's not gonna, I'm not saying he can't come to them in a dream or a vision or some other way. God can do what he wants to do. But I'm telling you, 999 times out of 1,000, he has designed it that person A goes to person B and tells them about the gospel. That's the way it's designed to work. But we need to understand that as ambassadors for Christ, as we go out and talk to people about the gospel, you're going to be dealing with not just different kinds of people, you're going to be dealing with different kinds of heart conditions. And today's parable helps us understand what those heart conditions are. In a nutshell, today's parable will answer this question. What kind of response should we expect when we go out into the world and we share the gospel? Should we expect everybody to just say, yeah, man, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard? Should we expect no response at all? Should we expect a 50% return rate? What, what should we expect as we go out in the world and, and share the gospel? And by the way, this is critical for us to know, for us that share the gospel, for, for several reasons. Number one, we don't want you to be discouraged. God doesn't want you to be discouraged. Okay, so he, he wants you to know this is what you can expect. Number two, when the return isn't what you think it should be and people aren't responding, he doesn't want us to blame the gospel as if the, as if the gospel or the message is somehow inadequate for the job. And he also, by the way, doesn't want you to blame yourself. See, I know a lot of people that think, boy, if I, if I could just communicate it better, if I could just remember that scriptures better, if I could just do this, more people would come to know would come to know the Lord. I don't believe that's true at all, and we'll see that in today's parable. You see, what the, today's parable is going to tell us is that it's not about the skill of the sower, and it's not about the adequacy of the seed. 
It's all about that person that's hearing the Word of God. It's all about how they receive that Word. It's all about them. Not, not the Word that's being shared, not the sower. It's all about the heart that's hearing it. So let's start at verse 4, and we'll walk down through this and see. Like I said, we'll only get through a couple of them today um, because there's a lot of stuff in front of the, first, uh, the explanation of the parable. Let's start in verse 4. It says, When a great crowd was gathering... And people from town after town came to him. He said to them in a parable. Now, if you look at Matthew 13, 1 through 2, it says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So you've got, if you put these two together, you've got this situation where Jesus is, is, is probably up on the Sea of Galilee. He's at a house, and he goes out, and people from all the towns are just coming. I mean, there's literally, once again, thousands, and they're just pressing upon him to hear what he has to say or to see if maybe he's going to heal somebody or maybe he's going to feed 4,000 or 5,000 like they've heard that he's done before. And, and, and the crowds are pressing so much that he literally gets in a boat and pushes off the shore maybe 10 or 15 yards, and the crowds are all out on the beach, and he's standing there, and his voice is being projected across the water, and he's got this great opportunity to teach, and he decides to tell this parable. Now, the parable that he tells, on that day, the people that are listening, nobody would be mystified by this parable. This is a parable about farming and about agriculture, and everybody in that day would have understood this parable without any problems, at least the, the logistics of the parable. They, not necessarily the spiritual truth, but it, they would have understood clearly what he was talking about. They didn't really need an explanation, but for those of us that don't live in an agrarian society anymore, uh, it, it does. So let's kind of walk through the parable and what Jesus says. He starts out this way. A sower went out to sow his seed. Now, I've got a couple of pictures up there. You know, uh, if you plant potatoes or if you plant okra or something like that, we're used to plowing a furrow and then we'll go and drop seeds. That is not what this sower is doing. This sower is planting grain. And so what they would do is they would carry a bag or, or, or some kind of basket or container full of grain seed, and then they would reach their hand into that basket and they would fling that seed out. So they're not necessarily trying to hit a row. It's like, it's like planting grass seed or ryegrass. Everybody here has probably done that. That's all they're doing. They're scattering it out. So they're not popping seeds into the ground. They're just scattering it like, uh, like that. And he says this in verse 5, And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now keep in mind, in Israel in that day, there are no fences. There's, nobody's got fences. They hadn't invented hog wire fence or any of that stuff yet. So, so nobody's building fences, separating. There's also no walls in that day. There, nobody's building walls. The only thing that separates these fields are these paths that people can walk along. And a lot, a lot of times they would even crisscross through the fields so that people wouldn't have to go all the way around. They would just, somebody would just cut a path right through the field. So you've got these paths and you've got this kind of dry and arid climate. And over time, these paths literally get hard as concrete. I mean, they are impenetrable. And, and as the farmer is, is sowing his seed, he's inevitably going to get close to this path. And as he gets close to the path, some of the wind or... Or, or whatever is going to carry some of that seed is going to fall on that hard, beaten-down area of the path. And that seed literally has no chance to penetrate 
that ground. It, it would be literally like landing on pavement today. It's just going to sit there and eventually birds or something's going to come along and eat that seed, which is exactly what, what Jesus said happened. He says in verse 6, And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now, I remember years ago when I first heard this, I, some of us get a picture in our mind that you're out in this field and you've got a field with all this dirt and there's rocks. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Anybody that's a self-respecting farmer would never leave rocks out in the middle of their field. They remove all the rocks, they remove pebbles, anything like that gets taken away. What he's talking about here is in Israel, you have areas of what's called a rock bed. And it will be under the soil. And a lot of times it's under the soil just deep enough where the plow won't hit it. Everybody with me? So maybe four inches or six inches down, there's a bed of rock. And that's what Jesus is talking about here is this rock bed. You can't see it. It's got a little bit of topsoil on top of it, but down underneath it's just a, a rock. And so what would happen... In these situations, a seed would go into the dirt and it would begin to take root. And, and for a while, it starts to grow and it looks great. I mean, it's green, it's popping up, everything's great. And you're thinking, boy, that's going to be a healthy plant. But what happens is its roots can't go down deep because it hits, that, it hits that rock bed. And as the plant grows and gets larger, just like a human being, it needs more nutrients. It needs more water. It needs more more nutrients to sustain it, and it can't get them anymore because it can't go deep enough. You know, you're going to get times of drought, and, and plants have to go deep to get water, but this plant cannot go deep because it hits that rock bed, and eventually it doesn't have enough water, it doesn't have enough nutrients to sustain it, and it withers and it, and it dies. Verse 7, Jesus says, Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Now listen, in any field, no matter how hard a farmer tries, right, and, and those of us that have, that have gardened it all, you know this, you cannot keep them weeds out of there. You can try as hard as you can, and the bigger the field, uh, the, the more chance weeds have of growing up. So some of the seed eventually um, would just naturally fall amongst these weeds or these thorns. And once again, as this plant grows and matures, it needs more water, it needs more nutrients, it needs more things to sustain it, but what ends up happening is it has to share the water and share the nutrients with these other plants, these weeds, these thorns. <coughs> and so just like the one with the rock bed, eventually it doesn't have enough nutrients, it doesn't have enough water, and it withers and it dies. Verse 8, Jesus says, but some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Matthew said this, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain some 100, some 60, some 30. I like Luke. Luke says, I ain't interested in the 30 and the 60. Let's just go straight to the 100. In other words, this is what's possible. Now, by the way, in, in that day, and probably in this day as well, a tenfold increase would be considered very good. If you got a tenfold increase out of what you planted, that would be very good. Jesus goes, shoots right past the 10. And he says, some will give 30, some will give 60, and you'll have some. It's even possible to get a hundredfold return on what's planted. And so I like Luke. Luke just says, goes right to the top. Man, this is what's possible, a hundredfold. Now, I want you to notice something about the good soil. The good soil has the opposite traits of the others. 
it's not hard because if it was hard, it would be the path, wouldn't it? So therefore, it's, it's got to be soft. It's, not de- it's deep, it's not shallow, it's not like the one with the rock bed. It's very deep so the plants can go down, go down as far as they need to. And it's also clean, it's not infested with thorns and weeds and all of that. Therefore, it is able to yield an incredible return. Now, as the story is told, several things should become clear to us. First of all, Jesus says absolutely nothing about the sower. Everybody see that? He just says, a sower went out to sow. It's the same sower. No matter whether it falls on the path or on the rock bed or amongst the thorns, it's always the same sower. The sower really has nothing to do uh, with this. And by the way, nothing is said about the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is good. It's not about that. The issue is where does the seed fall? That's the issue in the parable. That's what determines the return. Not the sower, not the seed. It's the, it's the heart that it falls on. That's what this parable is all about. Now look at verse 8. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, obviously, if you were there on that day and Jesus is telling you a story about a farmer sowing seed, you're thinking, what is, he, what is he talking about? I came out here to see somebody healed, right? I mean, we came to see something, get some real, you know, see something different. And he's telling a story about a farmer uh, th- sowing some seed out in a field. What's going on? And then Jesus says, listen, you got ears to hear. You need to hear what I just said. Now, obviously, from that statement, that tells us there's more to that story than just some farmer spreading seed, right? There's something else going on. There's a deeper meaning behind this. And Jesus says, if you've got ears to hear, you need to hear what I said. Now, what this tells us... By the way, everybody everybody on the beach that day heard the story. Just like everybody sitting in these chairs just heard the story. We've all got physical ears. We all heard the story. You understood what I just said. I, you know, we talked about it. You, you got it. But what Jesus is saying is there is a different kind of ear that we can hear with. Not just a physical ear, but a spiritual ear. Let me ask you, that day Jesus is telling the story, does anybody listening actually understand the spiritual meaning of that parable? Right, at, at, right now that I've stopped, does anybody, not us, but on that day, does anybody at that point understand the, the, the parable, the spiritual meaning? Yes or no? No. How do we know that? Because the, the, the disciples come later and say what? What does that mean? Nobody, right now, nobody understands. Now, that tells us something else. You see, spiritual ears, are not. it's not always about understanding. Sometimes it's about wanting to know more. You see, Jesus is basically saying, how many of you here have a heart that's willing to, to pursue this truth? How many of you have a heart that wants to know more about this? How many of you are willing to do what it takes to find out what this story means? See, at that point, nobody gets it, right? But some of them have a heart to find out more. In fact, look at verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant. See, I don't know how many thousands were there that day, but what's implied here is most of them went home and never asked a single question. 
They got home and his wife said, hey, what did you do today? I, went to, I, I saw Jesus out by the sea. What did he do? I don't know. He told some story about a sower and seed. I, I, I couldn't figure it all out. It just made, right? See, there was no heart to ask. There's no heart to pursue. There's no heart to learn. So only a few stay behind and ask Jesus, Lord, what does that mean? Can you tell us? And see, that's what you have here is a clear indication of who has spiritual ears. It's those who want to know Jesus. It's those who are after Him. It's those who follow Him. It's those who believe in Him. So sometimes the sign of a spiritual ear isn't necessarily that you're going to understand every spiritual truth that comes out of that pulpit. The sign of a spiritual ear is you, you won't give up. You want to know more. You want to keep pressing and pressing and pressing. And then as you do, that truth gets revealed to you more and more and more over time. You see, these were the ones who had the ability to understand, the ones that had the ears to hear. So they come back to Jesus and say, okay, what does it mean? Tell us. Now, at this point, Jesus gives a response that is absolutely, to me, still shocks me today. What he's going to say next, absolutely, I don't understand. I'm sure it shocked them and it should still shock us. This is what he said. Look at verse 9 and 10. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others I tell them in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, again, I don't know about you, but this always shocks me even today when I read it. See, what Jesus is saying is the ones that I've chosen, those of you that are my disciples, I'm giving you the ability to know spiritual truth. I'm granting it to you. This is a gift from me. I'm going to give you the gift of understanding. So that basically he's using parables to communicate spiritual truth. He gives them a heart to hear words that are, that are beautiful and valuable and compelling. He gives them a, a heart that wants to know more and more about spiritual truth. And, and as we said earlier, that truth is revealed to them. But on the other hand, there are many there that day who go home without knowing anything. They heard it with their physical ears, but they had no desire at all to learn any more about it, to hear any more about spiritual truth. And see, Jesus says the reason they went home is because I didn't give them the ability to understand. I didn't give them a heart to want to know more. In fact, truth is not only not being revealed to them, it's being hidden from them. In other words, as you look, look at Jesus' explanation, parables have two purposes. And we talked about this when we started this study. On one hand, they reveal and save. On the other hand they conceal and harden. They do both. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you have spiritual ears, parables reveal more spiritual truth to you. If you're not a Christian, it, it literally hides it from you. Now, in case we don't understand this, listen to Mark's account. This is Mark's account of the same scenario or the same scene. Mark 4, 11 through 12. And he said to them, they said, Lord, what does this parable mean? And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, and he's fixing to quote scripture, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He's quoting right out of Isaiah 
6, 9, and 10. Now, I went back and read that this week. If you got your Bibles, you might want to flip over there. Isaiah 6 is a very well-known chapter. Does anybody know how Isaiah 6 starts? Anybody offhand? It's very famous. Isaiah 6 starts like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Everybody remember that? So Isaiah's in a vision, and he's taken to see the Lord, and he sees the Lord in His temple, right? And and he sees the angels, and the angels are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah said, Man, I'm in trouble. I'm a a man of unclean lips. You remember one of the angels takes the coal and touches his lips and and says, Now they're clean. Now listen to this, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And what does Isaiah say? Here I am, send me. Right? Everybody remember that? Very famous scripture. Now, you almost think, and, and this is funny about how we are, if, if you didn't have that chapter open, and I ask you what was in the rest of the chapter, you would almost think, well, this is probably one of those Jonah stories, right? Where, where God wants to send Jonah to Nineveh to get them to repent. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I'll go, I'll go do it. But here's what the rest of the chapter says, starting in verse 9. And God said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Verse 11, Isaiah says, How long, Lord? How long do you want me to keep giving them this message? How long do you want me to keep preaching to them? How how long do you want me to keep calling them to repentance? And God says in verse 11, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. You see, what Isaiah, his ministry in that chapter was to go call the people to repentance, but it was a, it was a message of judgment. Those people were never going to repent. Everybody see that? The purpose of the word was judgment. It had nothing to do. They were never going to turn. He says, you keep preaching until the cities are laid waste. You keep preaching until the houses have no people in them. You keep preaching until judgment is absolutely come. Well, see, this is the scripture that Jesus is quoting. Jesus says, I'm speaking to them in parables, and I'm going to speak to them in parables because judgment has come. You see, the fact is, uh, we read that there. In other words, time had run out for these people. The word of God being proclaimed to them was no longer meant to save them. It was no longer meant to bring them back to God. It was only meant to make them harder and more duller and more blinder and more insensitive. That's the purpose of of those parables going out to some of those people. And you see, this teaches us something very important about the Word of God. It is always fulfilling a purpose. You know, the Bible says the Word of God never returns what? Void. That means it's always got a purpose and it always executes its purpose. Even when it's not softening and saving, sometimes that doesn't mean it's not ineffective. Sometimes its purpose is to harden. Sometimes its purpose is to make that person... And I don't... Again, I don't understand that. That's shocking to me. We think, man, every message goes out, 
Everybody's going to be saved. But there are times when, when basically there's a time in a people's life when God's not going to strive with them anymore. The Spirit of God is not going to strive with them anymore. And at that point, the preaching of the Word becomes judgment, not a work of, of repentance. In fact, it's not softening and saving. It's hardening and dulling and blinding. Now, we turn to the explanation of the parable. Verse 11, Jesus says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the Word of God. Whenever the Word of God, just like this morning, is being taught or preached or proclaimed in any way, shape, form, or fashion, the seed is being sown. You can be listening to it on, a, on the radio going home. You can listen to a podcast. You can listen to a CD. You can read a pamphlet. You can read your Bible. Anytime the Word is going out in any way, shape, or form, that seed is, is being sown. You and I are the sower. Now, the sower can be anybody. But keep in mind, when we share the gospel, you and I are the sower. We have been given a commission along with all the other believers, and that is share the gospel. So when we go out and we share the gospel, we are sowing the seed. That's our, that's our job. But we have to remember, as we do it, it's not about our cleverness or our communication skills. <clears throat> Listen, if we don't get anything else from this parable... Some people are so scared to share the gospel because they think, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be able to remember the scriptures. I'm not going to know what to say. And so you just let fear overcome you and you will not do it. And what this parable is saying is just sow the seed. The, listen, the power is where? Where is the power? Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the power. Not you, not your communication skills, not how clever you are. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do with that. You sow the seed. You let God handle it. I can tell you, God can take... What, what's, what does Henry say? He can strike a mighty lick with a, a crooked stick, right? That, that is absolutely true. In fact, he told Paul, in your weakness, I'm strong. The weaker, sometimes the weaker you are and the more, the more feeble you see yourself, God can even do more because you're not trying to, to convince that guy through great wisdom. You're not trying to convince her by all these sad stories. You're just sowing the Word. And the Holy Spirit can take that and do incredible things with it. It's not about the sower. It's not about the seed. It's about the soul. But we need to be honest about the results that we should expect. And there is no way to sugarcoat what I'm going to say right now. Only a few will respond. Not many, only a few. Okay? And by the way, the results from a human point of view are going to be poor. And, and in fact, over the years, a lot of people have come to say things like, well, you know, that preaching, we, there's better ways to do it than preaching. You ever seen churches that do that? You know, if we had a better music ministry, we'd get more people to come to Jesus. If I had better, if our preacher wore cool t-shirts and skinny jeans, more people would come to Jesus. You think that's funny, but go look at some of them preachers on, that are out there and tell me they're not wearing cool t-shirts and skinny jeans. They want to be cool, as if somehow you'll get more people to Jesus. Or I'll, I'll use better props. We'll do better. Instead of just preaching, right? But, but folks, preaching's not the problem. In fact, preaching has never been statistically effective, even in the early days. 
The reason only a few can't come is not because preaching is old-fashioned and outdated. The reason few people come is because of that. Mark 7, 14 says, The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The gate is narrow and the way is hard, and those that find it are few. Jesus said this, Luke 13, 24, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to get in. That's why few come. It's got nothing to do with preaching. And I, don't, I, I can't, that's the words of Jesus. That's not my words. So we, when we share the gospel, we need to understand it's not about us. The seed is adequate. The word of God is adequate. It is the power but at the end of the day, the results will be few. And it has nothing to do with the preaching. It has nothing to do with the sow or the seed. It has to do with the people that you are talking to because the way is hard to get in. Okay? Now, very quickly, we'll get to two of these this morning. Jesus is going to describe for us four kinds of people, four kinds of hearts, four kinds of souls. Uh, souls. The first one is the hard heart, Luke 8, 12. He says this, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This, this is the individual that really never shows an interest in the gospel at all. It's a person who, who hears the word, yet their heart is like that hard beaten path going through the field. It's like pavement. It's like concrete. The Old Testament calls them hard-hearted and, and stiff-necked. Those hearts are like those footpaths that crisscross the fields of Israel. They're never softened by self-inspection. They never look inside and say, boy, I could be a... There's something about some people, they don't even look at themselves. Everybody with me? They're just hard, man. They never experience contrition. They never, they're not humble. None of that seems to have any effect on them whatsoever. In fact, they're so callous that you can get up there and preach grace and they look at you like it makes no... You can preach grace, or you can try to scare them with hell. Neither one of them make any... any it, it doesn't affect them at all. They are so hard that neither message, um, the sweet message of grace or the terrifying message of judgment, neither one of those seem to get into them at all. In fact, it's a heart so hard that it's, it's almost... I would say it's impossible for the seed word to penetrate except for one thing, that with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay, So it's not impossible, but these are the people that just seem like it cannot happen. Now, there's a question that I, I, you know, you guys know I ask a lot of questions. It says these people, they hear the word and Satan comes and steals it. Immediately, in fact. In fact, so I asked the question, what does that mean? Look at Matthew 13. Matthew says this, When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Mark 4.15 says, When they hear, Satan immediately comes. Doesn't come tomorrow, doesn't come the next day. He comes immediately and snatches that word away. So that's how Satan is stealing. He's doing it immediately, and he's doing it because they don't understand it. Now listen, when it says this person does not understand the word of God, that doesn't mean that they've got to understand all the spiritual truth. What he's saying is they don't understand it for what it is. They don't see it as valuable. They don't see it as compelling. They don't see it as a beautiful thing that they need to pursue. You remember on that day there's thousands on the shore. 
And only a few saw that word and said, man, if, Je- if this is coming out of Jesus' mouth, there's got to be something beautiful here. Lord, tell us, what, what is this? The rest of them just went home. And that happens every day, and it's going to happen today in this church. There are going to be people here who have a hard heart, and, and, and Pastor Henry is going to preach the word of God, and, and, and it's, they're going to walk out of here, and it's going to be immediately gone. Ten, mile, ten minutes down the road, you say, what did we preach about? Yeah, they won't have any idea. In fact, you, you may ask, how is he stealing it from them? I think he does it in a multitude of ways. And I put a few in there, inattention, fear, false teachers, doubt, stubbornness, pride, love. But I put that first one up there, inattention. And some of you will understand this. Yeah, you know how you can sit out there and the preacher's preaching and your mind starts to what? It starts to wonder. And it can go all kind of places. Man, what, what, I got all this stuff to do this afternoon, right? And you physically, you're hearing what he's saying, but mentally, you're, you're checked out, right? Or, or maybe you sit there and the preacher's preaching and you think, man, I, who, taught, who dressed him this morning, right? Or, or, or maybe you think, man, I, he, why does he talk about himself all the time, right? Or anything Satan can get into your mind that distracts you from the Word of God, he's just stealing, everybody with me? He's stealing it immediately, immediately. And by the way, guys, we need to be careful of that. Even as Christians, we need to be careful of that. You see, somebody can get up in a pulpit and be preaching, and maybe we don't like their style. Maybe there's something about them, and if we're not careful, we'll check out. Now, if Henry was preaching that, I'd listen, but I, you know, I, I just, that's the way this guy talks, I just can't quite. And so we check out, right? And guess what? That word is stolen from us. It's the word that's important. It's the word that we should, we should focus on, and if we don't, Satan will steal it away. Whatever it takes, right, if he can only distract you from the words coming out of the pastor or the teacher's mouth, he has stolen it from you. And we cannot allow that to happen. Heart number two, and I call this the superficial heart, verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive it with... Everybody hear that word? Joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. These are the opposites of hard-hearted people. These are people that come, and they sit in a service on a Sunday morning, and their heart is open, and that preacher's preaching, and boy, they're listening. They're hearing what he's saying. And, and not only this, look, they are emotional about it. Does everybody see that? That's very important. They receive it with joy. In other words, they're sitting there, and they think, that is the best thing I've ever heard. That message about Jesus and grace and forgiveness and everlasting life, that's, that's the best thing I've ever heard. And they actually get emotional. But listen, they might even cry. They, they might cry, right? And that, Everybody with me? They're joyous. They're emotional. They may cry and jump and dance, and they're just, I mean, they are happy. And by the way, if I'm sitting over there, I think, man, that person just got saved. That's the real deal. Everybody with me? See, there's every evidence that, they're, that they really got saved. There's every evidence that emotion looks to us like the real thing. It looks like a little plant it's popping out of the ground, and it's all green, and it's looking good, and it's got every evidence it's going to turn into this fruitful grain plant. Let me put something very simply. Joy, emotion, is not the distinguishing feature of salvation. If you don't know that, you should know it now. People can walk down an aisle, pray a prayer, and cry and laugh, and they're so happy. 
And the Bible says it may not be real at all. Emotion is not a distinguishing feature of salvation. By the way, in the same way, absence of emotion doesn't mean they didn't get saved. If you, if you got emotion, great. If you don't got emotion, that's okay. But that's not, that's not the point. There will always be people who will respond to a presentation of the gospel for all the wrong reasons. They may do it because they're at the end of a broken relationship. They, they've just gone through a divorce. Maybe they, they've just lost their job and they got financial me- needs. Maybe they got a call this week from the doctor and they've got a terminal disease. In all these cases, they come to Jesus because they think He'll fix everything. He'll get me my family back. He'll get me my wife back. And by the way, they're very emotional about it. And, and why wouldn't they be, right? You, you just pray, and, 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 and for all you know, you're not going to hell anymore. The whole church, everybody's hugging you and loving you and telling them you're accepted, and in your mind you're thinking, boy, she's going to come back to me now. God's going to put my marriage back together. God's going to give me my job back. So they're happy. But the problem is it's not real. And when problems come back into their life, when they realize Jesus isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card, when they realize that their wife's gone off and married somebody else and, and she's not coming back, when tribulation and testing, and the Greek word there literally means pressure. It literally means the pressures of life are applied. The Bible says they fall away because they had no root. In other words, it wasn't real. They never bring forth fruit. Listen, Emotions are great, but on the end, one thing is a true sign of spiritual change, and that is fruit. Fruit, 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 fruit. I was at a church not too long ago, and and, uh, I was there a couple of times, and both times this lady came up to me and said, I've been in this church for 50 years. That's good, but that don't mean nothing. Everybody with me? I'm glad you're in this church. I think you should persevere in the church, but there's one thing. It shows real salvation, and that is fruit. You bear fruit. John 15, 5 through 6, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, they are thrown away like a branch, and it withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's the sign, fruit-bearing. So somebody comes up, prays, they get all happy, and they're coming to church for a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe a few years. But eventually, eventually, the pressure is applied, and they fall. They never bring forth any real fruit. Never. Because they, they have no root. It was true in Jesus' day, and it's still true today. There will always be people who believe for a while but they have no root. Eventually, they fall away because they're not true believers. They never bear fruit. And we'll see that's the difference between the first three soils and the fourth soil as we come back next week. So next week, we'll pick up with the third soil, and then we'll see some applications of this parable for for our lives. Let's pray.